Welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia, and this is my co-host Morgan. Hello. This week we're going to be talking about The Fits, which is a very small indie movie by a director called Anna Rose Homer, who I believe has done documentaries before. This is kind of her first fiction movie. It's quite short. It's like an hour and ten minutes. And if you're listening to this not having seen it, you should just go over to youtube or google play and buy that film and watch it because it's awesome <laughs> like morgan has been raving about this film for over a year i had to watch it and i was just as impressed it's about a team of competitive dancers so they're kind of aged 10 to 16 age they all live in cincinnati um i think the entire cast is black girls in their kind of early teens and it's about this girl who's a little bit of a tomboy she mostly kind of trains with her brother who's a boxer at the gym and she sort of watches the other girls and I guess it's kind of about her in that sort of pre-puberty state where she's coming to terms with you know the fact that she's gonna quote-unquote become a woman soon and she kind of gradually decides that she's going to join these dancers even though it's not really something she's been in before so she's kind of viewing the sisterhood from outside and gradually kind of becoming part of it but the title comes from the fact that these girls start having fits it's basically about hysteria outbreak and I mean, I think we're going to have to talk about the ending of the film because otherwise it's going to be ridiculous to avoid spoiling this movie. But um, as the film progresses, more and more of these girls start having fits. And, you know, the adults in the film who have a very minimal presence kind of offer explanations like, oh, maybe it's poison water and maybe, or maybe they all need therapy or whatever. Um, and the film doesn't really give an explanation because it's not that kind of movie, but it ends with this really kind of beautiful, surreal sequence where um, the main girl, Tony, she finally is the last person to have a fit because all of these older girls are kind of at that teenage puberty state where that's when the fit starts. And then at the end, she kind of levitates and has this dance style fit at the end and it ends in this sort of surreal dreamlike dance sequence. Very hard Which to describe amazing. this film. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, that ending, I remember seeing this, uh, I saw it at a film festival, so actually in a theater, which was probably not the way that most people have or will experience this movie, and it was just so stunning. It was my favorite ending of a movie that I saw last year, for sure. I don't think that it's that out there to just say the fits are a metaphor for sexuality. <laughs> that's what's going on. It's, uh, it's pretty straightforward that that's what's happening in the film. But it doesn't ever over-explain that in a way that I think makes it way more engaging and interesting. It's not particularly over-determined. It isn't a straight allegory, even though obviously the movie is about puberty and sexuality. Like She isn't that we can really see experiencing particularly sexual things but that's the undercurrent running through the whole movie and the fits start with the older teenage girls who sort of run this group who are very actively sexual in the sense that they have crushes on the boys at the boxing gym or are dating them and then it sort of starts to filter down to the younger girls who are around you know 10 or 11 and they're really afraid of this happening to them but also some of them and want then, it to happen because it's kind of right. being inducted into the sisterhood exactly. and it's the point where you know some girls are getting really excited about growing up and others are 
less so. So there's this point where um, the main character, Tony, she has a, she's made a couple of friends her age and one of them basically wants to have a fit. And when she does, you kind of have to wonder if she's faked it in order to fit in to make it seem like she's more mature. And she's suddenly part of this like older group. Now she's experienced it. And Tony is kind of much more, you know, she's not enthusiastic about the prospect. And she's also not someone who's willing to fake it to fit in. Yes. And I I was so funny watching it this time. The, those particular scenes nearer to the end where the younger girls are talking about this and some of them are really frightened and some of them want it to happen. And then you hear conversations with girls who have gone through this already and they've all experienced it differently. And so for some of them, it was really scary. And some of them are completely like, well, you know, it was fine, whatever. It was kind of weird. But I thought it was, it's so evoked like girls who've had their periods for the first <laughs> time. And that's, it's clearly not a one-on-one analog of that at all because it starts happening to these girls who are like 16 or 17, yeah. who, uh, like obviously. Um, but it's basically like but, any new experience that's like yes. not discussed and is like something that's like a wide conversation among teenagers. Like I was reading a review before this where someone just went full, like when the whole hog and was like, yes, it's clearly a metaphor for orgasm. And I'm like, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, I don't think <laughs> I do so. There's like everyone's different. It's like I do not think that is what they were trying to discuss. <laughs> if it's anything specifically, it's not that. But uh, interesting, interesting. Going zero to one hundred with that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they were older, maybe. But since the main character is like ten, yeah. I think that's a little bit it's of a stretch. It's definitely more of a kind of generalized puberty metaphor. Both kind yeah. of physical stuff and just the general sort of social anxiety that every kid is feeling when they're like 12 yes and that is i think expressed so well also you have this girl played by a young actress whose name is royalty hightower which is the greatest name that anyone has has ever been called uh who says almost nothing for the first half of the movie I would say and she does not suddenly become loquacious after that point but she says more I was keeping track um her first line of dialogue comes like 11 or 12 minutes into the movie and even after that point she's usually kind of like saying one word answers to questions until she finally starts to become friends with some of the other girls in this dance troupe and her awkwardness beginning to sort of fit into them is so so strongly evokes that period in your life even if this isn't something you've particularly experienced her dancing at the beginning is so bad it's amazing which is hilarious because this girl is from this dance troupe that the director yeah, they found just cast and all started of the, to work all with. of the characters are just played by kids from this same competitive dance troupe in Cincinnati and they're all just like working out of the same community center (laughs) so this like genius girl clearly has you know been choreographed to look bad and she's obviously really self-conscious about it in a way that you know there we've all had something like that when we were like 12 be it this or you know something similar and it's really funny I mean, the movie's not being mean to her, but it's just a funny thing to watch. And then you also watch her quite awkwardly trying to interact with these girls so she doesn't know how to sort of deal with. Her older brother clearly is kind of raising her, although they do reference the mother as well. 
I saw, as I said, I saw this at a festival and there was a big panel with the director and some of the writers and producers. And they said a lot of interesting things about it. And one of the things that the director said they had been trying to do was to depict this world where you're kind of beginning to become sort of an adult and that you feel like there's all this stuff going on in the world and that you're not paying attention to your parents at all at that point. Obviously, a little bit later when you're a real teenager, you become totally obsessed with your parents. Um, But it's just this world that's just dominated by kind of young teenagers. And also, I think it's also mostly presumably filmed at her height because she's like a really yes. like you know a 10 year old or whatever so it's like yeah if you're gonna see an adult the camera is gonna have to point up right so there are no parents in this movie the only adults are there's one woman who is actually in charge of the dance troupe even though some of the teenage girls are running it and then the adults who come in to try to figure out what's going on with this um, and then, yes, it's filmed almost entirely at her height, which made me think of um, Beasts of the Southern Wild, which is filmed at the height of a six-year-old. Because I remember them talking about shooting that and how difficult it was because that is all handheld. And so you had like a grown man with a handheld oh God, camera just with a really to, sore, like, crouch with down. Really sore back at the end of every day. <laughs> right. This is a little bit different because it's none of it is handheld at all it's all tracking shots or you know shots that look similar but it's tracking her at her height and so you are seeing everything from her point of view and the fact that it is so still or done with smooth movement they also said they had been really pleased to find somewhere that has these kind of um long halls or halls that have like a ramp that then turns around and so they were using a lot of those lines which you can if you sort of think about that watching the movie it becomes very obvious that's what they're doing um there is this sense of almost serenity to the movie and then there's a lot of movement going on with the dance inside the frame and then you have these fits happening that sort of break it up and there's not a lot of dialogue so there is this incredibly atmospheric sort of mood to the whole movie that the music adds to because it's all about movement and bodies like it's one of the most physical movies i've ever seen because there's like basically as much dialogue as you need for the film to make sense and to get a decent idea of everyone's characterization and everything else is just about bodies puberty and injuries like at one point she kind of pierces her own ears and all the dancing and everything i was really interested like to see there was some interview where um, they said they choreographed a different fit with each of the girls. They kind of designed what their fit was going to look like and then they'd sort of unveil it. So they'd keep it secret and then once it came to filming day, they'd perform their fit in front of all the other girls, which is just such a cool way of dealing with that. I just love that detail. Yeah, I think that's really great. The ear piercing scene is incredible and also very funny. Again, this movie is not in any way like laugh out loud funny, but there's a lot of kind of subtle humor in it and um her the girl who plays her best friend is as kind of effusive and talkative as she is reticent and so she's piercing her own ears in like the bathroom of this community center and the best friend is totally freaking out and having all the (laughs) reaction you would expect her to be having and she does it without she does the first year without react reacting at all. And the friend is just like, Oh my God. And then she kind of says very calmly, I don't think I could do the other <laughs> one. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, 
<laughs> but it was it's like in this tiny little scene conveys so much about that character in the whole movie which is that she is feeling so many things but because she's sort of grown up in this male she's world, completely so impassive and tough right yeah right she can't express any of it and then the dance is a way for her to get some of that out yeah i like that um, even her voice was lower i don't know if the i don't think the actress's voice is even that low but like the character has a surprisingly yeah. low voice for like an 11 year old girl yes um yeah she definitely does and also like a very persuasive boxer yeah like i she that she just incredible that actress i was blown away both i liked her up and she is definitely on her way to other roles (laughs) yes as she should she's making a movie where she and lawrence fishburne are the two main characters (laughs) Great. I uh, good job. Also directed by that women. Sounds fantastic. So I'm on board by whatever happens in that film because I also love Lord yep. Fishburne. <laughs> yeah. As do I, as do we all. But yeah, I mean, actors often talk about how hard it is when there's so little dialogue, you have to do all the acting with your body and that, that obviously can be really exciting and freeing, but that it is difficult to do. And this 10-year-old girl had to do all of that. There's an amazing scene on like a bridge over a freeway where she kind of really gets into the dancing for the first time, um, having been practicing and practicing and not doing it very well. And the music really kicks in in that scene also where her performance is just so incredible. It's one of the best things I saw in a movie last year. And the fact that the movie can get that much across in a scene with a little girl doing the same dance moves that she's been doing over and over and over again for like 40 minutes is so impressive. Like they just do the same thing. It takes maybe 15 seconds. Repeat. That's all. That's all they do the whole time, which is, fine because then you can see her slowly I mean it, it really did seem getting like less one terrible. of those kind of examples of child actors who are not you know they're they're either like newcomers so it's like child actors who have their first role and it's kind of if you've not had acting training and it's just instinct and some people just have this completely pure natural talent out of nowhere and like the fact that you you kind of have to start when you're young because afterwards once you've gone to acting classes and you're overthinking things it's harder it kind of reminded me of the kid who starred in Kez who also I think Mm. was just you know some kid who was appropriate for the part and they hired and then I mean he did become an actor later on but like I think that was definitely like his biggest role because he was doing that when he was also like 11 well I mean the probably the best like child performance I've ever seen is the kid in There Will Be Blood who did that and then never anything else and like became a normal person which good good, good, good for choice. you <laughs> like get out and the story behind that one was that they shot that in Texas it takes place in California but it's all like the desert so they shot it in Texas like at the same time that No Country for Old Men was shooting like 20 miles away which is wild because those are the two big movies of that year I have not seen either um, and they went down and yeah, well, they're both pretty good. Um, and Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, went to local elementary schools and, or like, sent you know letters and said, "Look, we're looking for a kid to be in this movie. We want a child who seems like an adult." And one of the principals 
you know, called up or wrote back and was like, I have, I have him, <laughs> I, I have the child for this movie. And they met the kid and were like, oh, yes, that's right. We want him. And he's perfect. And if you watch the movie, that's so... Oh my god, he is like a little mini adult person. He's got his little serious face, and it's just... Oh, I'm really happy that he is presumably not maladjusted now and doing something that I don't know what it is. Um, Although in this case, Royalty Hightower is nothing like her character in real life, apart from they're both dancers. So I was like, I'm very impressed. Now I know more about this child um, who is playing a completely different role from her natural personality and is doing an incredible job. (laughs) It really is just a prodigy thing for people of that age like if you can do it at, to that level it's just, god bless a good luck <laughs> like, i hope that she winds up fine um i mean but it, it seems, seems like, it was... like a, the perfect place to start because you know yes. it's a tiny film you're not gonna have a bunch of maniac paparazzi people after you but also the kind of creative background of it sounds so interesting because i mean it was mostly women which is also helpful if you're like a preteen girl but it was so collaborative and they were all kind of balancing things a lot. So it's like there was obviously a director who kind of conceived of the project and co-wrote it with a couple of other women. But they had all these kind of, you know, the choreographer and the coach and all the girls were kind of working on their characters because it's that kind of film. It's, yeah, it just sounds so interesting kind of behind the scenes. Yeah, well, one of the things I found particularly interesting about listening to them talk about it at this Q&A which is a particularly good Q&A, and those are often uh, unfortunate at festivals. We have, we have been to our fair share of hell Q&As. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I really like going to them when they're good because they can be so illuminating, but often the audience questions are so bad that it's just excruciating. But this one was great because everyone involved in the movie was so enthusiastic and so interesting. And their approach to it was clearly so collaborative. Obviously, Anna Rose Hallmer is an immensely talented person. I mean, she created this thing. But it was very apparent watching her and the other people who had worked on the script and the producers. And I think the cinematographer may have been there also. This was last March, so I'm not sure. That they had basically just all moved to Cincinnati and then been working on this thing. And she's credited as having directed and written it. But that a lot of brains had gone into it in a way that reminded me slightly of the way people talk about like TV writers rooms. And she was completely unegotistical about the whole thing in a way that I found really refreshing. Because obviously, anytime you make a movie, that's how it works. I mean, of course, some directors are maniac nightmares. But the reality is that anytime you're filming something, be it television or movies or whatever, you are inherently collaborating with a ton of other people because no one person can do the whole thing. And to see people just completely acknowledging that, I thought was really refreshing and predictable because she is a woman and not yeah, a man. I think, I was like, I think oh, the yeah. only director Q&A I've been to where, I mean, obviously directors do credit all the people like you know if they're discussing cinematography they're going to talk about the cinematographer but the only person I really remember talking about a film and what I perceive as a realistically collaborative way is Todd Haynes who just like constantly talks about his collaborators and like how much the film owes to them 
and that sort of thing. Whereas most directors that I've seen in Q&As, obviously most of them are not doing it in a sort of nasty way. But there is a tendency both for them and for the press and audience to kind of think of it as something that's come exclusively from the auteur's mind, which is true in a very limited number of cases. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, but not really the case. I wonder if that's partially maybe to do with the documentary background also. Not that documentarians aren't directing movies and doing a ton of work, but she did this film about the choreographer and dancer Justin Peck that I really should watch because um, his work is incredible. And obviously she would have been working with him on that and to do a movie like that you kind of have to find your way forward as you're going and it's my impression just from outside of that kind of thing is that it would inherently be less egomaniacal because you can't predict it as much. I mean, I'm sure that there are, again, many crazy documentarians, but like just practically speaking, you have to work with so many people doing something like that. And then they got a grant of, what was it, 150,000 euros to make this movie, which is insane. That is like zero dollars, effectively speaking. And it looks beautiful. It is a gorgeous film. And it costs nothing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all films in the community centre, which looks like the community centre that I think probably all of us have been in. And I think the only yes. they, 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 there's like coloured stripes that are painted through it that match all of the kids' uniforms. So there's this really kind of nice colour theme through it. And I think the only other sort of visual cue that you keep seeing again and again is the water, which I was buying into really heavily because I was when I was watching it, I was like, oh, she's rolling water along and there's like, she's filling water bottles. I bet it turns out the fits are actually caused by water. And there's, obviously there's no like fucking explanation because <laughs> it's not that kind of film. It's like by the time I get halfway through it, I'm like, obviously there's explaining it is nonsense. That's not the kind of story it is. But also this film was made before the Flint water crisis. So they made oh. the movie. And then, you know, in the kind of post-production process or as it was coming out, that's when Flint became really big news. So I saw an interview where the director was kind of talking about like kids from this town organising water drives where they'd kind of go across state lines and send water over to Flint. And it was like, holy shit, because the film seems like, I mean, it definitely seems like it's a story because it's like it's set in a black neighbourhood. It's about, you know, there's all this kind of worry about water being damaging and it turns out it was just a pure coincidence and it's got this weird read to it now that just seems like this huge kind of other level of social commentary that was completely unintentional yeah i'm trying to think of that must not have been a major news story when i saw it i mean i think basically it was like just breaking at the same time as the film was over and it was becoming national news around the same time but yeah because i saw it months before it came out because that was so not anything that was being discussed and then when i watched it this time it didn't remotely occur to me because of course i'm you know when you first see a movie that's kind of how it crystallizes in your head but that is so wild that had not remotely occurred to me but of course that's how yeah i mean i was watching it like think it sucks that girls are having fits because they're being poisoned by the government <laughs> I was in the wrong, I'm in the wrong headspace for this film. And then obviously you get to the end and it's like, actually everything is uh, magic and she's going to levitate now. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is um, 
symbolic and yeah, not literal. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't think you're supposed to think that she's actually flying. Well, I think it's right after I watched uh, it, I just emailed you and was like, all girls are witches. <laughs> that was yes. my entire review of the film. <laughs> it's a great review. It's factually correct. Yeah. Um, thematically intuitive. <laughs> and I think everyone watching the film will be at least vaguely familiar with the concept of hysteria outbreaks. Yes. It also, it made me, it reminds me of a conversation I had recently with one of my friends about fainting. Because I didn't realize that it was like not normal and not like a medical problem. It was like a medical problem for people to faint. I thought that wasn't like a problem. I mean, I'm not like a serial fainter or anything, but I was like, we were talking about like, oh, what happens if someone passes out? And they were like, obviously you call the doctor or send them to hospital. And I was like, but obviously people faint like all the time and it's really normal. And I think at my school, <laughs> because girls fainted all the time at my school when we were aged oh like 12 God. to 15. I just thought that was normal. And I remember like when I was that age, I would tell my mom about it. And she would just be like, of course, obviously girls. So it's like, just a, just is that a hysteria outbreak? I don't fucking know. If someone was actually ill, no one would have known because it was treated as like a normal thing where occasionally people would just like pass out and it'd be like, well, go to the nurse for five minutes, I guess you're fine. It's <laughs> so horrifying. I'm guessing that's not something that was normal at your school during the middle school years either. <laughs> um, no, I can't actually remember anyone fainting. I mean, I'm sure people did, but not in my presence and not frequently enough that it was. I fainted, and I would upon. say that virtually all of my friends probably at some point fainted. I mean, it didn't. I. It didn't seem like a big deal. I have only passed out once in my life, and it was in the middle of the night while I was having a migraine. You see, that surprised me, because we're both anemic. Yeah. I don't know if I was anemic at that age. It would seem pretty bad, because I definitely did not... If, if so, I was not taking iron for, like, a good good 15 years of my life. <laughs> but, yeah, turns out that um, I may have been in the midst of an extremely low-key hysteria outbreak. <laughs> that is... Yeah. I mean, there's no way that everyone in your school was, like, ill. No, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like way. everyone was fainting all the time. But I recall it not being especially unusual for girls yeah. to faint. I don't think a guy ever fainted. Of course not. <laughs> um, oh, my yeah. God. Did you... Was this... See, I am from Massachusetts. Maybe half yeah, hour where the witches come from, from yeah right so not right near salem but it was a this was a this is a thing and i read every single book in the school library about the salem witch trials one you know fall or spring or something like i systematically made my way through all of them i was obsessed i read every book and I think that that was pretty standard. Like, I think most girls who like to, you know, read whatever did something similar. We went on a field trip there also, although I would not recommend this. There's a witch museum in Salem that is very, very bad. They really sort of play I mean, the, thanks for the warning, because I would definitely go to the witch museum. I I am still I very mean, much I you would get a real <laughs> kick out of it, but it is kitschy as fuck like it is really bad um it it is like you step back into the past into like 1973 or something <laughs> they have not updated it in quite some time um but 
yeah, there is something about that when you are that age. Because it was when I was basically exactly this age that I became completely obsessed with this. That is weirdly, weirdly fascinating. Well, there's a really good um, episode of This American Life where I think... I think you have to buy this American Life episodes once they're out of time or something. But like, there's one which is basically just a long series of interviews with middle schoolers that I find really, really interesting because middle school is not a concept in the UK. Um, yeah. You just go from primary school at the age of 11 to secondary school and then you're you know, in the same school as all the 18-year-olds. And it was basically just talking about the incredibly toxic but also really creative environment of being in middle school because if you're all aged like 11 to 14 or whatever it is then like that's a terrible age group to just be in there with no younger kids to look after or no older kids to be good mentors so it's just like everyone just going completely insane because of puberty and also it's when all of the really kind of you know the social strata kicks in and some people are starting to date but some aren't because they're still all babies and it's also the point where people really start to develop their skills and like kids at the age of 12 get incredibly obsessed with stuff and if you're obsessed with something when you're 12 that's what sticks with you for life it's when you learn skills that you just have forever and I was thinking about that quite a lot like just that specific podcast while I was watching this film because it really is about when you're like 11 or 12 and you do become obsessed with something and it's like training and learning and all that kind of stuff and she's just putting all of her energy into the dance thing yeah I mean Middle school is the worst time. <laughs> I actually was like fine in middle school socially. I didn't have a terrible time. Um, although I know many people who did. And the my middle school, the town where I grew up is like famously awful. Their other schools are, are very good. And like, it's a joke that the middle school is so bad. But that's because no one wants to teach kids of that age. Like, why would you subject yourself to that? It's a fucking nightmare. And, uh... I just, even though I had, I basically was fine. Like, that's the only time where I have vivid memories of, like, boys being really nasty to me. And not in a way that I think, I mean, maybe they all had crushes on me, but I don't think that was the case. Like, one of them used to, like, literally tug my pigtails, which was amazing. (laughs) So maybe he did. But he also once, like, hit me on the head really hard with a textbook, which I do not think is, like, a good way to woo a... 12 year old girl um yeah what a what a gentleman uh but there's just something about being in that i think it's like 12 to 14 yeah is the age it's when range. everyone just turns into a but monster like, right like i think 12 you're still like it's like you're teetering on the brinks you might still be okay the second you hit 13 oh my god which was the the year that this fine young gentleman smacked me on the head with a book <laughs> um it's just like it, it becomes such i felt really bad for the teachers that year actually because our class was uncontrollable like there was just nothing you could do to like oh i mean just complete complete nightmare um and it is because there's so many sort of um there's a smaller range of students as well it is this such a um, just like weird cloistered nightmare. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I started space. thinking about the concept of middle school, I was just like, this is such a disastrous idea. Because when you have a school where yeah. kids are aged 11 to 18, the older ones can be kind of nice and, you know, older brother sisterly to the kids. 
and keep the middle ones yeah. in line because they're like the cool adults of the group. But if everyone is just age 12 to 14, the 14 year olds who are also fucking monsters are the ones who are the cool older kids. <laughs> it's like, they're 14. That's the worst right. age. <laughs> There's nothing. And then you get to high school and it's like, oh, I'm a child. Right? Just, <laughs> you see the 18 year old. The is so oh, bizarre. No. Oh, it's so bad. And also, I can't I did... even imagine like the social delineations of because obviously that's like the physically awkward period when loads of kids are just like hideous oh yeah and it's just like <laughs> it's it, it just, just horrible but like obviously some kids are gonna be the lucky one that just looks like miley cyrus when they're 13 and that's just gonna turn you into a psychopath because you're like the hot one when you're 13 it's like <laughs> that's not gonna be good either <laughs> no no indeed just makes me like it must have been kind of in between second and third year of school when we were 12 and 13 over the summer almost every girl in my year through some kind of psychics shared link or possibly MSN messenger all got perfectly straightened <laughs> highlighted blonde hair so they all had the oh. same straight blonde hair which looked incredibly chic because they were all quite rich and there's just all these school photos of our class where there's like everyone I would say 80% of the students have straight blonde hair and the ones that kept their natural dark hair just have straightened dark hair in the same style and then there's me looking like cartoon Hermione Granger <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I was I was telling you before we started, it was I remember thinking about this last year and finding it really interesting. There was another movie that came out, another very small indie, although not this small, called um Little Men by Iris Axe that I would highly, highly recommend. I it's definitely want to see one of my that. favorite yeah. films. Oh, it's so good. I think it's on Netflix in the UK. I'm not sure about the US, but it's, you know, it it was worth your three or four dollars or whatever it would be on Amazon. And it's about these two boys who are around 13 in Brooklyn um, who are sort of thrown together because one of them has a mother who runs a shop in the ground floor of this I think some kind of sort of brownstone type building in Brooklyn. And then the man who owns the building dies and the family, his family comes in, moves in and they have a son. And so the two boys wind up becoming best friends, even though they don't really have anything in common. And um, it seems pretty clear that one of them is probably gay, although it's never explicitly talked about at all. And it handles that kind of thing really delicately and really well um but it's all obviously like totally pre-sexual so it's sort of just hinting at this stuff without really getting into it in a way that's really smart but it just evokes so well what it's like to be that age where you're sort of again figuring out the stuff that you're really interested in and have these really intense friendships that don't necessarily last and are becoming your sort of own independent person but simultaneously have absolutely no power in your life and are completely dependent on your parents for everything and like think that you're like a totally independent adult but you're 13 years old so in fact that's not remotely true (laughs) i think it's a really difficult age to capture because it is really complicated whereas teenagers are hard to really get right but it's easier to sort of do the broad strokes of like the teenage experience and to have two movies that did that so well in very different ways in the same year I thought was really interesting and cool. And I think also from like, a practical standpoint, people, I mean, obviously people find it easier to get into the minds of teenagers, 
but also you can yes. film stuff with teenagers because you can hire an emancipated 16 year old to play the teenagers and you have to hire an 11 year old to play the 11 year old well right or you can hire a 25 yeah, obviously, year old obviously like, never dealer what have you is going to be hiring a 25 year old as a, as a right be like it's it's he's a freshman in high school like okay uh. whereas in both of these films they actually have kids who are the age of the people they're playing and it makes such a huge difference i understand why on a you know a teen tv show they just logistically they cannot possibly do that and, and also they fine. are not aiming for um, the same goal so <laughs> no not at all but when you are doing a serious film like this it really does have an effect because like the boys in this film are both incredible incredible actors but the way you're watching them and engaging with them as actors is so impacted by the fact that they are so young as you know an adult watching I just was like, ah, like, I want to give you a hug. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> um, even though they were doing quite, you know, sophisticated stuff, as opposed to if they had been played by, you know, a 17-year-old pretending to be 13. See, this is right? why like, it wouldn't you have the same Stranger impact. Things. Because it has that perfect <laughs> trifecta of you've got the kid story, which really is that Spielberg-era, like, middle schoolers. And they are all, like, legit middle schoolers. As we all yeah. know, because they've been fucking advertising everything in a nightmarish child yes. star way. And then there's teenagers where it's like, I think one of the teenagers is in their 20s, but like they do all legitimately look and act like teens. Yeah. I love Stranger Things. I know that makes me really basic, but uh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is like the Spielberg thing, I think, is the most kind of iconic, at least in terms of American media, depictions of that age group. And it's all boys. So it's very yeah, different. all white boys. Maybe there's, you know, one or two exceptions to make it not. But basically, that's what's going on. And it was really nice with this movie to have a bunch of girls who also weren't white. It's like, oh, right. Other stories do exist and can be told. What a novel concept. Yeah, if you've made it through all of this and haven't seen the film, you should definitely watch it. It's, it's quite good. And... Her next project, uh, Anna Rose Holmer's The Directors, is a rodeo movie starring Natalie Portman, apparently. The least rodeo individual I can think of. Right. So get ready for that, because that will be great, I'm sure. I cannot wait. I don't know when that's coming, but it's it's happening. So, excellent. Uh, next week, this week, sometime, we will be discussing... Alien Literally the opposite possible end of the scale to this movie. Right. Um, right. Morgan is the one person in the world who liked the movie Prometheus. I enjoyed it when I watched it the yeah. first time. I hate that movie. And the second time was like, this is. I actually found it like watchable. It's very stupid. I, so. I really dislike Prometheus because I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Alien franchise in general. And the concept of thinking of a religious mythology to explain the unexplainable is disgusting to me. Um, also, it's a bad film and there's a lot of really crappy abortion stuff going on in there. However, I've seen Alien Covenant now. My opinion on that is different to that of my opinion of Prometheus. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as a good movie. But oh boy, did I enjoy whatever it was that Michael Fassbender <laughs> was doing in that film. We will elaborate more. Morgan hasn't seen it yet, but once she has seen it, we will be recording a podcast 
you should definitely tune in. I think it's going to be one of those things where even if you're one of the many people who are not planning to watch Alien Covenant, I think you'll probably enjoy the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I am just breathless with anticipation for the cinema experience that I'm about to have and look forward to discussing it with you soon. Uh, So tune back in next week for that. I am sure it will be a wild ride for everyone involved. So thank you for tuning in as always if you enjoyed this episode we would very much appreciate it if you left a rating or review on itunes that is how we find new listeners and otherwise you can find us on overinvestedpodcast.com on twitter at overinvestedpod or on tumblr at overinvestedpodcast thanks bye